Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Here's what's coming your way today. It's all eyes on Donald Trump as he made his first appearance in court. The ESCOM exemption that had everyone hot under the collar and Massa asks, did two months of a national state of disaster have any impact on our load shedding crisis? I don't think there has been a substantive difference whatsoever to the energy crisis. I mean, load shedding has gotten a bit worse. And another win for the good guys as PPE tenderpreneurs account for their sins. Get comfy as we join Masake Kana and Ray Matlaka for another weekly news wrap. Welcome to another jam-packed, exciting edition of the whole week news wrap with the Daily Maverick. My name is Masa Gegana, and I am so excited to be joined by Ray Masaka, a journalist at Business Mavericks, which is the Daily Mavericks business unit. And I'm particularly excited to talk to Ray because whenever I see Finance Minister Enoch Godongwana in the news, I know that the man to talk to is Ray Masaka. Lots and lots going on in the world, lots to unpack abroad, looking at what's going on in the U.S. Ray, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, again, another jam-packed week on the news cycle, so I'm feeling quite spent and exhausted. It's almost like they take turns, like this week it's going to be Nahal. Next week will be an EFF protest. The following week will be the public protector. And the following week may be ESCOM. It's just always something to look forward to. Let's start abroad. I think what is going on in the U.S. right now, former President Donald Trump facing 34 felony counts, including falsifying business records, is major history. It is history in the making. I was watching on the edge of my couch, watching you know, the night before, the preps, the closing of the streets. I mean, the prep from the security aspect as well from the last week. And, of course, the anticipated motorcade as it drove past and Donald Trump himself seeming very, very somber and appearing there and facing the might of the law. Yeah, I mean, that was an an unprecedented moment. I, I mean, really, there's so much that Trump could answer for and be charged for, including the January 6th insurrection and uh, his close relationship and ties with Russia and uh, uh, the president, Vladimir Putin. But Trump being charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records relating to you know, the hush money or payment uh, in the days before the 2016 elections, that payment to be made to Adele from actress Stormy Daniels. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But as you said, I mean, this is the first former U.S. president to be indicted or formally charged. I mean, other presidents have had scandals like Richard Nixon, but nobody has ever gotten to this moment like Trump. The interesting thing for me, Ray, was we didn't know what the charges were prior. So it was always this build-up because it could have been anything, like you said. They could have gotten him on anything. But then, you know, we obviously saw his supporters outside, you know, calling this a phony case. It's a political case. He called it a fake case. Um, In true Donald Trump style, fake news, fake case. And saying that it should be dropped immediately. But this is also... Again, in true Trump style, showing defiance to the law, showing defiance to 
just being treated as an ordinary citizen who has to take account for what he does. I'm very interested because I am getting a Zuma-esque style going on here. Obviously, we know that he is the presidential campaign for the Republicans, and he has aspirations to go back to that seat. Some might argue so that he doesn't have to face such trials and charges just so that he's back in that position. And, you know, that kind of feels like deja vu for us. Indeed. I mean, uh, bizarrely, Trump still has ambitions, presidential ambitions, and challenged the next election in 2024. Bizarrely, his supporters are giving him money to, you know, possibly participate in, in the next election cycle. I read somewhere that Trump raised about $8 million dollars just in recent days, his supporters giving him money. And I'm sure his legal fees are piling up as well. But you write about making those parallels between uh, Trump and Zuma in South Africa. Our former president, uh, Jacob Zuma, is also going through a criminal process and trial as well. But what I find quite strange, you know, Massa, is that in the US, cameras have been banned from covering the trial, you know, journalists have been allowed momentarily in court to take pictures of Trump, but they don't have the privilege like South Africa, us journalists, who can cover court cases and really record them in real time as well and having cameras in court. So I, for a moment, felt grateful to be a journalist in South Africa, to have those kind of privileges and access to courts as well. Speaking of stuff to be grateful for, tell me your opinion. Are you grateful that Minister Inokodongwana has momentarily withdrawn um, ESCOM's PFMA exemption from some of their policies? Masa, I'm actually embarrassed about this. And I am embarrassed mm. government because this saga really shows that the government does not make informed or carefully thought out processes before it makes decisions. So a year ago, uh, Gorongwana also gave uh, Transnet an exemption from parts mm. of the Public Finance Management Act, allowing Transnet to really not fully disclose irregular, wasteful and fruitless spending. And a year later, he gave the same privilege to Eskim. Now, I find it very interesting that a year ago, there was no outrage when it comes to Transnet. But a year later, when the same thing happens to Eskim, there's a lot of public outcry. So I, I guess it reflects how personal Eskim and its operations are to us and how we experience Eskim on a daily basis through load shedding. Whereas a Transnet is something that is much more removed, far away from us and, and you know, uh, a key player in the economy, but it, it really isn't as close to our daily lives. But also the way it was gone about, the consultation process or the lack thereof when it comes to ESCOM, but with Transnet, there was better consultation process that took place. I mean, the Auditor General welcomed the withdrawal because they weren't even consulted before this decision was taken. Yeah, I mean, this is a rookie era, not consulting fully and widely. It's a rookie era. And Gorongwana, he's not on island. He doesn't work alone. He's got a team around him of experts, advisors, people who know how to follow the correct processes. But how this came about, it really beggars belief. But it was actually the Eskim board chair, Paul Makwana, who asked Gorongwana for some exemptions from the Public Finance Management Act for Eskim to not disclose and report on irregular and fruitless and wasteful expenditure in both the annual report and financial statement. 
Makwana argued that doing so, publishing the spending in the annual report and financial statements is cumbersome and private sector companies are not required or, or subjected to the PFMA Act. So Makwana wanted a bit of grace from Gorongwana. And to me, it seems like this decision was made with haste and without proper consideration. Opposition parties did not mince their words at all. They were just as outraged as I think civil society was. And one of the MPs said that he saw this as a deliberate attempt to manipulate ESCOM's books to lenders. And that cannot be done. It, it is a form of manipulation. Why are we saying that we should be able to hide certain things that are very important. And we're not talking about just some company that was doing well and is now wanting to take a different course. We're talking about an SOE that was, you know, kind of centered in the state capture report. We know what is going on there. You're absolutely right. The nation is still scarred from what happened during the state capture years. And if you really want to move on from that moment, you have to be really transparent going forward. Open your books to the public. Bring in the nation into your confidence about how ESKIM affairs and financial books look like. Because ESKIM still needs to win the nation's trust from the state capture years, let alone what's happening with load shedding and the breakdown of power plants and the coal contracts that are sullied. So if you really want to move on from that moment of betrayal, state capture, now is not the time to be really economical with the truth and transparency. Just wrapping up on ESCOM, Ray, we also have been told that the state of disaster has been called off. What was the state of disaster? What did it entail and what did it achieve? The actual true state of disaster is, again, the government's decision-making and how it justifies certain decision-making processes. That's the actual state of disaster. But let's just play along with the government's thinking and what it has done over the past two months. So a state of disaster was implemented two months ago by the government over the electricity crisis, the load shedding crisis. Look, what has the state of disaster regulations done in the two months that, that they have been in place? I don't think there has been a substantive difference whatsoever to the energy crisis. I mean, load shedding has gotten a bit worse. I mean, we did get a bit of reprieve for a week or two, but low shedding is still here. But what the state of disaster has done, it has enabled some changes, such as allowing some hospitals to be exempt from load shedding and ensuring that, you know, hospitals continue to deliver services to the public without any interruptions. But really, the, the disaster regulations were aimed at speeding up procurement for ESKIM when it comes to the maintenance of power stations and procuring some parts that are required and to be used for uh, power stations. But rules have already been relaxed for ESKIM. The PFMA Act, for example, has already been relaxed to allow ESKIM to procure goods very fast. So really, disaster regulations, I think it was just a political game. And I'm being kind with my words here. So what does that mean for our new Minister of Electricity? Does he retain his job? Do we still need him? I think without the disaster regulations, he will have to now prove himself and really prove to the nation that he is capable of doing the job. Between convict Tabo Bester's big escape and arrest and a failed bid to have the Gupta brothers extradited from the UAE, we're in desperate need of some good news. Let's get into it. This is a green shoot, and I love this green shoot, and I'd love you to talk about it because we also did a story, I mean, media covered extensively the PPE scandal that happened during the pandemic. I think what shocked the nation 
was we knew that we had elements of corruption. We just didn't understand the level of it and the depths that it would be willing to grow, even when the lives are at stake. The PPE corruption was, without a doubt, one of the biggest indictments that we have experienced in our democracy. But you've got some good news about a subsupplier that's been fined 3.5 million rand. Yeah, this is quite shocking. And it also speaks to state of disaster regulations that were implemented during the COVID period to enable the government to really speed up the procurement of PPE and uh, other protective goods, such as sanitizers and gloves as well. But in the early days of the 2020 COVID pandemic, the South African Police Service issued a tender requiring many bottles of hand sanitizers. I think about 10,000 bottles of hand sanitizers that are 25 litres in size. So it issued a tender and actually awarded a tender to a company called Blue Collar Occupational Health, which was in partnership with a company called Atletico Investments. These two companies have now been fined 3.5 million rand by the competition tribunal because they have found to have excessively priced hand sanitizers that they issued to the South African police service. In some cases, these companies charged 3,500 rand for one bottle of hand sanitizer. Mm. Whereas the market price is usually about 100 rand, 150 rand, maybe 200 rand but they really pitched the prices at 3,500 rand. Now that is an excessive price gouging, which I guess now there is some form of justice. So this shows that the wheels of justice are turning, but they are turning too slow because the first prize would be to get people into jail. But I'll take this. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, fine, I'll take that, but we really want to see a risk to deter anything like this from happening again it's i mean we do know that it continues to happen in other spheres and shapes and forms but i think this is a step in the right direction what i'm hoping for is to see more of these companies because they just mushroomed they were everywhere and they suddenly knew experts they were the experts when it came to ppe i don't know where all those companies are suddenly now what products are they selling? Are they even still around? And that, that's very, very interesting that at least somewhere there is some justice. I know, and, and I think the nation is really yearning for some justice and accountability because a lot of people are really getting away with wrongdoing. To get a bit of justice, I think, would really uplift our spirits as the nation. Absolutely. Ray, I wish you a fantastic week ahead. Please try and keep your head above water. It is always a jam-packed, news-filled week when it comes to South Africa. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.